Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Thursday, January 20th in the year 2022. We uh, have survived the very first round of the NFL playoffs. There are some matchups that are extremely intriguing that I'd like to break down. So much going on. This is Mike Abadir, and you're on the Mike Abadir Show. Of course, you know that because you tuned in. Hopefully, you picked the show. Hopefully, you're a regular and check us out every single week. As you know, we jump all over the board every single sports headline that not other people are talking about is what we focus on. Sometimes, of course, there's some crossover. We talk about the games. And that's something that everybody talks about, and we'll get to those in one moment here. Let's start with a couple of some of the interesting headlines in this week. We see that Antonio Brown, he says, nothing is wrong with my mental health. Really, Antonio? Nothing at all? Because I've never seen a player get fired in the middle of the game. Because I've never seen a player do jumping jacks on the sidelines just to do them, (laughs) just to entertain a segment of the crowd, I suppose. I don't know if that's... Maybe he was staying loose. Maybe he was exercising. Maybe he was like, you know what? Since I'm only going to play half the game, I better get in some other repetitions. I better get my reps in, push-ups and, and jumping jacks and, and maybe some weight training. And before I leave the stadium here, why don't I at least get the jumping jacks out of the way? Maybe, maybe that's what he was thinking. I don't know. Now, it's interesting because... Renowned mental health advocate, Brandon Marshall, who himself suffered from tremendous mental health issues, had Antonio Brown on on a show called I Am Athlete. I'm not sure if, if Brandon Marshall was a guest on that show along with AB or if he's the host of the show. It's not a show that I've seen before, so maybe you guys can fill me in on that. But um, that's that's where he comes on, and and he says, and I quote, and then you started your career on a high. It's like a roller coaster. You go up, and then as soon as it's about to go down, everyone leave. If we all players, and we all saying we care about mental health, why every time something happens bad or someone reacts, ah, he crazy. There's something wrong with his mental health. There's nothing wrong with my mental health. Someone told me, get the F out of here. I'm not passive aggressive. So, okay, so let me get this straight. So in the middle of the game, Bruce Arians and company were like, hey, after we drop this next play, somebody better go tell Antonio Brown to get the F out of here. Let's just get this first down first, and then we'll deal with it. Or, hey, the next time out, hey, the next time out, when there's a break in action, Somebody go tell Antonio Brown to get the F out of here. Is that, is that kind of 
the way it went, Antonio? <laughs> well, the good news for Antonio Brown is this. He's got things to fall back on. So I think he's going to be okay. He's now shifted his focus to his music career while he's rehabbing his ankle, which is going to require surgery. So that'll give him a lot of time. I don't know if he's a lyricist or if he plays an instrument or if he raps or sings or what, but he'll have plenty of time to work on it. And then he's going to want to continue playing football next year. So he did release a single. Check it out. Pit, not the palace. Pit, not the palace. Is that a pit of a fruit? Or is that like, don't pit this person against this thing? Or, oh, only God knows. So he's looking good, though. He appeared courtside for a uh, Brooklyn Nets Memphis Grizzlies game uh, a short time ago. And uh, and he's been involved in sh- photo shoots with uh, Kanye West and Floyd Mayweather and Madonna. All very well-known celebrities who... I have interesting personas. So that's enough about Antonio Brown, but I, I did find that to be interesting that uh, he really has nothing to bring to the table when it comes to mental health, not an acknowledgement, not a plea for help, nothing. It's just, that's not my problem. And I don't know why you guys all, why you guys would even think that is outlandish to him. Big matchup of the weekend, 49ers and the Green Bay Packers. I think that's one of the games that maybe a lot of people didn't necessarily anticipate, even if you had the 49ers winning. So that's one of the very few things that I got right. I did have the 49ers winning. and um, But I think when you when you kind of looked at, at the playoffs from a very general perspective before the tournament started, you know, you're not thinking down the road the Niners uh, and the Packers are going to meet up. And I think a big reason for that is probably the lack of faith in the quarterback. So even when you looked at the matchup between Dallas and the 49ers, you probably looked at it and said, well, Dallas is kind of the chokers usually. Niners seem to, you know, um, play their their best games against um, teams that maybe are underestimating them because the 49ers have a lot of intangibles and things of that nature. But... Jimmy G will show up in the playoffs and kind of ruin things. And by the way, he did. He was very close to losing the game for the 49ers. He had a couple of, of, of key throws. But that's the thing about Jimmy G is that he can he can give you a good quarterback performance for, you know, pockets of the game. But it's the mistakes that he comes with that – and I know that Shanahan has tried and 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 the quarterback coach, the QB coach, the offensive court, they all have tried to work on game planning on how to minimize Garoppolo mistakes. But you could only do so much. You could only have the receivers run certain routes, you know, work on spacing, you know, work on things where the play that's drawn up uh, because you're, you're looking to get guys in space that even if a DB tries to jump a receiver or something like that, you know, be, be, because of the way the play is drawn up and where the ball is supposed to go, they maybe re- reduce the possibility of an errant throw. 
And the crazy thing about it is this, even despite all of that, all of those efforts, and they've done a pretty decent job with that, despite all of that, <laughs> Jimmy G still will find a way to make that errant throw that's so errant that you're wondering who is it going to. Um, or it's got the wrong touch on it. You know, because a, a, a lot of what is nuanced about the quarterback position is the right kind of touch you put on the pass, right? For example, if you're trying to thread the needle, it's going to be kind of like a straight line bullet, right? Think John Elway, Dan Marino, just those kind of like zip passes. Brett Favre was pretty good for that. If you're, uh, you know, for most of his career, while well, he had tremendous arm strength. But if you're trying to like throw it timing to a running back out of the backfield who is about to, um, you, you know, you're trying to lead him forward. It may be more of a, a touch, you know, lobbing kind of throw that, you know, it, it, you get it to a point where you think the running back is going to be when he's coming out of the backfield, something along those lines. So you're going to take something off of it, right? The, the touch aspect of Jimmy G's throws is good like nine out of ten times. But then that tenth time, you're like, what the hell is he doing? And so usually, by the way, it's not that he went too soft. It's usually like he's putting his receiver in a really tough position. And he, he you know, right as the receiver, before they've even turned their head, they've got like a bullet to the shoulder pad. So he gets a lot of tip pass interceptions. Besides the wild errant throws. So he's always good for one or two picks a game. You could pretty much count on that in a big game. And the only way that he doesn't is when they minimize the number of throws he makes. I think, what was it, a couple years ago in the playoffs? Shanahan had him pass it, what, like 11 times? Maybe it was nine times, maybe even single digits. I mean, it was the lowest number of passes I've ever seen in my life in a playoff game for a quarterback. But that's what you got to do, right? You got to deal with what you've got. And that kind of tells you also the uh, progress of uh, Trey Lance. You know, he's still not a better option than what I just described. So curious to hear your thoughts about that game. Who do you think is going to win? I know a lot of you guys are in the contest that we put out there. Both fantasy and pick'em. We didn't get a great draw for the pick'em for some reason. We got a much better draw for the uh, fantasy contest than the pick'em. Maybe I didn't tweet it out enough, but either way, we have a nice, you know, small size group, competitive. A lot of guys who know their football. Tennessee and Cincinnati. That's the next. That's the first game actually on Saturday. So the two Saturday games are Niners and Green Bay, Tennessee and Cincinnati. Now, I think everybody can agree with me on this. Cincinnati's offense is killer. Joe Burrow is fantastic. He's got tons of weapons to to pick from. He's got a really good tight end. He's got three really good wide receivers. Two of them may be, you know, top 10 for sure, maybe even top five. Maybe it's 
maybe it's too early to put them there. A guy like T. Higgins or Jamar Chase is the one I was thinking about. But definitely top-tier receivers. More than a serviceable, productive tight end. I don't see a lot of O-line problems with, with Burrow. Either a running game or passing game. They, they seem to be... I, I haven't looked at their grades on Pro Football Focus, but I'm, I'm guessing that they're plus-plus. Joe Mixon, of course. Probably one of the more underrated running backs. I would suspect that that's the case because he plays for Cincinnati. Not a big media market, not a big sports market. And a team that historically has not had a lot of success at least in the last few decades, right? But this is a team that's fairly loaded offensively. And maybe try, you know, maybe kind of peaking a little bit defensively. Maybe they're 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 kind of coming along defensively. I, I think everybody would agree. I already used that phrase a moment ago, but I'll use it again. Uh, and and this one I think is definitely worthy of, I think everyone will agree, that this entire game hinges on Derrick Henry's availability. Now, the Tennessee Titans may be the most unheralded one seed I've ever seen in my life in the NFL. Can you guys think of a weaker number one seed in recent memory than this year's Tennessee Titans team. They're one-ish. They're a one-ish type of team if Derrick Henry's in there. But in my mind, without Derrick Henry, you know, this is a team that probably was a player or two from not even being a wildcard team, let alone a one seed. They had that really, really good stretch where, where Derrick Henry was was absolutely killing it. That was that middle stretch of the year. So they started the year one, two, three, four, five, six. They started the year eight and one. They finished up twelve and five. So that just shows you the impact of Derrick Henry. And I don't think anybody doubted that or debated that. Um they lost in the last week against the Bears, but I don't think it was a meaningful game in any way, shape, or form. Prior to that, they'd kind of righted the ship a little bit because they'd lost um, three out of four games, their only win being against the Jags. But they lost to the Texans and the Patriots and the Steelers. And um, and then they, they eked out a win against the Niners, they walloped the Dolphins, and then they eked out another win, uh, another win against the Texans. It's kind of interesting because they got their butt whipped against the Texans once, and they had to barely squeeze out a three-point win, twenty-eight to twenty-five, against the Texans a second time. And then they beat the Falcons. Their their good victory was against the Buccaneers. Oh, the, you know what? I'm sorry, guys. Scratch what I've said in the last. 15 seconds starting from the from from the bears i apologize they closed the year 
against the the Cardinals, and they lost. You know, everything that I said about the the Titans, I I, I messed it up. What happened was, for whatever damn reason, ESPN kind of lists the schedules kind of the other way. They flip them around. It's not like a top-bottom thing. It's like a bottom-up kind of thing. So it kind of messed me up here. So, yeah, I guess the Tennessee Titans... For not having Derrick Henry, they they played fairly well down the stretch. I mean, they went two and two in the last couple of games. One of the Jet, the losses was a really bad one against the Jets. Um, they got whipped by the uh, Cardinals. They barely beat the Seahawks by three, and then they beat their division rival, the Colts. Now, prior to that, they beat up on the Jags. They had a good win against the Bills. They had a good win against the Chiefs. Another win against the Colts, another one against the Rams, another win against the Saints. Those are some of the better teams in the league, right? So they kind of showed that with or without Derrick Henry, um, you know, they can play good football. But at the same time, when you see games where they're losing against the Texans, like I mentioned a little bit ago, um, you know, against the Steelers, against the Jets, they can kind of lay a goose egg every once in a while and you know even even though i had the schedule kind of flipped upside down it really doesn't matter the games that i mentioned were still the games that i mentioned i just gave them in the wrong order the reality is that this is a team that is extremely dangerous with derrick henry and i'll I'll say this last thing about the tennessee titans Ryan Tannehill is a completely different quarterback when he has Derrick Henry in the backfield. When he's got Derrick Henry in the backfield, he's a good quarterback. When he doesn't have Derrick Henry in the backfield, he is a not-so-good quarterback. He he turns into Miami Dolphins' Ryan Tannehill. So he's a Tennessee Titans' Ryan Tannehill when Derrick Henry's back there. He is a Miami Dolphins' Ryan Tannehill with Derrick Henry not there. So this game completely hinges on that. Is he the Dolphins' Tannehill? Is he the Titans' Tannehill? That's completely going to be dependent on Derrick Henry's availability. I I do think it's maybe not as much of a long shot as it seemed to be a few days ago. I'll say this. If if it's not going to cause any structural long-term damage... I think Derrick Henry plays this weekend. So Tennessee desperately wants to win this game because I think if they do, he'll be around the following week. Let's take a commercial timeout. We'll come back. We'll talk more NFL playoffs right after this. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. 
Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to Mike at the MikeAbadirShow.com. Now, back to this week's program. How about the all star coaching staff? that the Washington Redskins, when they were the Washington Redskins, had a few years ago. So back in 2013, they had uh, Jay Gruden as the head coach and a part of their coaching staff. They had Kyle Shanahan, Matt LaFleur, and Sean McVay. Three head coaches currently still in this tournament in the postseason. How about that, huh? I'd have to go back and look at the uh, Redskins record back in 2013. If they didn't win, it, w- it wasn't because of a lack of coaching. That's for sure. So Kyle Shanahan was the OC. Matt LaFleur was the QB coach. Sean McVay was the tight ends coach. And of course, they are the head coaches respectively at the San Francisco 49ers, Green Bay Packers, and the LA Rams. So it's in- interesting that they did not hire from within. How do they let those guys go? Do they not know that these guys are offensive geniuses at the time that they've got them? Um, I don't even remember who the next move was right after Gruden, but I know he doesn't have his job now. <laughs> so it almost doesn't matter. The Denver Broncos are seriously looking at the Cincinnati Bengals offensive coordinator. That's Brian Callahan. So we'll see who becomes the next head coach for the Denver Broncos. Okay. Let's keep going on the NFL playoffs. But before we do a quick Red Sox news and note, if I seem a little bit distracted here is because I'm looking at the baseball wire. Now, why am I looking at the baseball wire right now? It's because I got an alert that told me that there was something going on with the Red Sox and the Red Sox are a team that I get get alerts on because I like them because they're good and because I get happy when they win. So they had a big international signing uh, not that long ago. Rusty Castillo. He was a big Cuban signing. Looks like the Nationals 
have plucked him from the Red Sox. So they're kind of stocking up, I guess, on on some of the uh, former Red Sox, right? They've got Coco Crisp. <laughs> He's their uh, running coordinator. And uh, former Red Sox third baseman Bill Miller is their uh, QC coordinator. <laughs> Anyways, back to the games. Back to this weekend's playoff games. There's a lot of intrigue in these matchups. In on Sunday, I believe more than Saturday. They're all good matchups. Don't get me wrong, but I think that you got the one seeds all going on on Saturday, and the rest of the field is going on Sunday. And so you've got some really, really intriguing matchups. Even when you look at the overall records between the teams on Saturday versus Sunday, there's a bigger gap between wins and losses for the Saturday teams that are going head-to-head, you know, two or three wins more each of the one seats had, which you would expect. But on Sunday, you know, you've got like 13-4 and four against 12-5, and 12-5 and five against 11-6. and six. And let's face it, when you're talking about the pros, when you're talking about the NFL, when you're talking about one game separating teams, what that probably means is this. <clears throat> to, win, to win an NFL game, you need to – execute let's just say on 76 out of 80 plays and not make any mistakes you're probably allowed four mistakes per game to be able to win a game now mistakes aren't necessarily turnovers because if you have four turnovers then you're going to lose most likely but four mistakes could be uh, really bad penalties. You know, the wrong at the wrong time. Really self-inflicted gunshot wounds, as they say. It could be a turnover. It could be a quarterback misses a wide open receiver. It could be a receiver missing his blocking assignment. It could be a bad holding penalty, bringing back a score. So the magic number is four. If you make less than four mistakes in a game, in total, you're going to win a football game at the National Football League level. Pretty simple. Not simple to do, simple to understand. Four mistakes or less, win the game four mistakes or more, then you're going to have an uphill battle. And a lot of it's going to depend on, does your opponent limit their mistakes to four games, four mistakes or less? Right? So if each team makes 12 mistakes, you know, then it becomes who made worse mistakes than the other team? <laughs> or, you know, who's able to overcome that? I'm just saying, if you want a formula for how to win games, Limit your mistakes to four or less, okay? So where am I going with this? <clears throat> when you're talking about a one-game separation between two teams, two playoff teams, or even a non-playoff team with a playoff team, because really what we're saying is this. The non-playoff teams probably averaged, let's just say, seven mistakes a game. And the 
on average that, you know, it might be a little higher than that. I'm not citing anything right now. I'm just going off of memory. When you look at Bill Walsh's book and other genius level works and publications and, and brains and thought processes, processes that I've studied, they're along the lines of what I'm talking about. So let's just say from a hypothetical perspective that a non-playoff team, let's just say makes uh, nine mistakes a game on average. Like I said, that's a combined cumulative total turnovers, bad penalties, missed assignments, over or under throws, key moments, etc. during the course of a game, both on the offensive defensive side. So basically nine penalties means, you know, four or so mistakes by the defense, four or so mistakes on the offense. Boom, you get to eight or nine penalties, uh, eight or nine mistakes in total cumulative throughout the game. So non-playoff teams are going to average like nine. Now, maybe on some of their wins, they were like at five or four. Some of their bad losses, maybe they're at 13 or 14. But it'll average out to nine mistakes a game. The playoff teams average out to maybe six wins, uh, six mistakes a game, right? Maybe on some of their good wins, three or four mistakes, key mistakes, big mistakes. Maybe on some of the losses, seven or eight or nine. But overall, it's going to average out to about six a game. So when you're talking about a one-loss differential, you literally are talking about the difference between a very few plays, a very small number of plays, that if they went this way, they've got the same record or better. Or if they went that way, you have the same record or worse. And a lot of times, by the way, because, you know, I count accounted in the stat of the mistake count is uh, like a missed extra point. Definitely missed field goal. So how many times have we seen that during the course of a year that it may be a missed kick cost a team two wins in the win or loss column? And that's kind of proof of what I'm talking about. You know, literally, they would have won this game if they made this kick. They would have won that game if they made that kick. Those are really easy mistakes to identify. And right there, that's two L's instead of W's. So that's like, what, a four-game swing, win-loss column, right? Instead of 12 and 5, you'd now be 14 and 3. Why am I bringing all that up? Because that's what we're talking about, separating the four teams on Sunday. Literally, literally a play here and there separates the Rams and the Buccaneers and the Chiefs and the Bills. That's why when you're handicapping these games, you have to imagine that so many of our biases start entering into this. And a lot of the human factors start entering into this. And a lot of it depends on how much you value some of the human factors or not, right? Example, there are two really, really, really obvious ones on Sunday between the Bucks and the Rams. The two obvious human factors are Tom Brady and Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford being known as a guy who can't beat the big teams, he's not a playoff winner, yada, yada, yada. 
the Buccaneers don't even need to go into any depth at all. Tom Brady says it all. Winner, Super Bowl winner, gets to Super Bowls. Nobody does it better. Hard to dethrone Brady, that type of talk, right? So, so literally we're talking about fairly even teams. Now, I don't know the status for Fournette. I know that the Rams are starting to get healthy, especially in their backfield, which they weren't during the course of the year. Sony Michelle has emerged to be a really, really nice uh, fill-in weapon for them. Uh, he, uh, unlike what maybe the Patriots or others thought, he's not washed up. He's doing pretty well. It's interesting because Rex Burke had actually had a pretty decent year for the uh, Titans. Um, I don't remember seeing necessarily former Patriots going on anywhere and doing well uh, until this year. So I know that they kind of wanted to retool, and that was a part of the retooling. So I don't know how they did or did not fit into their salary cap and budgetary constraints. But it's uh, not often that you see guys, when they've moved on from the Patriots, do well. And if they do, it's usually very short-lived. For example, Wes Welker, obviously his best years were with the Patriots, and then he um, goes and follows Brady uh, Manning to the Broncos. Um, he had, I don't know how long his run, but it wasn't very long. He had a good season or two, but it wasn't a long run for Wes Welker. It's almost like he hit a wall and that was it. So for these games, we're talking about such a small margin. And that's why NFL odds makers typically, when you're looking at fairly even teams, you just throw three points in the point spread towards the home team and go from there. And that tells you a lot. That kind of confirms exactly what I'm talking about. Because when they throw three points to the home team, really what they're doing is this. They're saying, you know, along the mistakes, you know, you circle the number of mistakes like I was talking about. What they're basically saying is that if you're trying to get to four mistakes or less, that it's just a little bit harder to do it on the road than at home. That when you're at home, you should be making less mistakes than when you're on the road. And that's why they throw the three points towards the home team. It makes a lot of sense, right? Especially in football, when you have smart crowds, and I think most crowds are kind of like pushed by the stadium sound to make noise when needed, right? You have on the Jumbotron uh, the letter D and then a picture of a fence, right? Make some noise, right? All that kind of stuff, depending on the music and the tempo and everything. And then quiet when it needs to be quiet, right? And that's why on the road, it's hard to hear your play calling. You know, fans make it very difficult. That's what a home field advantage is, right? Not to mention sleeping in your own bed the night before and that kind of stuff. That's all great. But these guys are professionals. They're used to it. Really, the home field advantage is uh, based on the fans and what the fans are able to do to make life difficult for the road team. And the best example of that that we've seen in many years is the 12th man up in Seattle. They make it really hard for a road team to come in and, and get their communications right. 
And if you think about it in terms of numbers of plays throughout a game, if a team messes up on their communications once or twice, those are two mistakes out of the four. Now you've only got two left. And think about that. You only have two left. You get the communications problems. Uh, maybe you got to burn some timeouts. Maybe there's uh, uh, a cross-up between the quarterback and the receiver. He's not at the right place where he's supposed to be or the quarterback thought he was supposed to be somewhere else. You've got now two game, two mistakes left. You burned two of them already on the communications problems, which were caused by the home field crowd. Now you've got two mistakes left to make, and that's it. Think about how small of a number that is. Think about that margin of error. That's two really bad sacks. That's a holding penalty and a fumble. That's a personal foul roughing the passer and a holding penalty. That's it. I mean, you really can't make any more mistakes than that and be in that four mistakes or less window after you've got some communications issues that go against your four. Now, like I said, you can win a game still making five, six, seven mistakes. But it's kind of like, remember back in the day, it was if you rush for 100 yards, you know, such and such team is 13 and six over their last 19 games, is 17 and two when they get to 100 yards. That was kind of the analytics of that time. It was very limited. Today's analytics actually breaks it down on a play-by-play basis, right? And they come up with this computation based on grading each of the units, right? The DBs and the number of mistakes they do or don't make, the number of passes that are completed against said DBs, the defensive line, the offensive line, so on and so forth. There's a metrics for each one. And that's why today's game is much more like baseball in terms of stats from an analytics perspective than it's ever been. To be honest with you, I didn't even know how analytics fit into football, you know, five years ago. So the separation is so minimal between these teams that they threw three points on the Buccaneers, they being uh, Las Vegas points makers, for the Bucs being at home, and that's it. It's a three-point spread. Bucks at home. That means on a neutral site, they would be pick them. So let's start talking about who we're going to pick right after this quick commercial timeout. Stay with us. We'll come back with the winners of this weekend's games. Stay with us. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies radio show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. 
Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Streaming live, the leader in Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Back here for the final segment on the Mike Abadir Show. I mentioned earlier that I'd got some Red Sox news and notes. There is a funny one. If you're tracking the Hall of Fame ballots, MLB Hall of Fame, the writers are submitting them. Some are making them public. Some are not making them public. Ballot number 154 is from Dan Shaughnessy. And for those of you who do not know who he is, he is from the Boston Globe. So this is a man that's followed the Red Sox for decades. And he submitted a ballot. You guys can look this up. Look up ballot 154, Dan Shaughnessy. You don't have to make them public, but he did. You could submit them to the Hall of Fame voters panel anonymously, but he didn't. He selected one name only. Now, remember, this is a year that's got Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Todd Helton, Torrey Hunter, Andrew Jones, Tim Lincecum, <clears throat> excuse me, Justin Murnau, Joe Nathan, David Ortiz, Big Poppy, Papelbon, PV, Andy Pettit, Manny, A-Rod, Jimmy Rollins, Kurt Schilling, Sheffield, Sosa. He didn't pick any of those. No Bonds, no Clemens, no Big Poppy, no A-Rod, no Manny Ramirez. He selected Jeff Kent. That's it, Jeff Kent. Now Jeff Kent's pretty good. He was a really good baseball player. Maybe he's an MB, maybe he's a uh, Hall of Famer. I'm not saying he's not. But you pick Jeff Kent over Barry Bonds? How? How do you pick him over <laughs> Roger Clemens? You do know that the guy's got seven Cy Young awards, right? You do know that Barry has seven MVP awards, right? You know he's hit more home runs than any human being that's ever donned an MLB uniform. Jeff Kent? So, what does this have to do with the Red Sox? Well, there's a show, Merlonian uh, Faria. Merloni being former Red Sox second baseman Lou Merloni, of course. They're on WEEI out in the East Coast. I believe they uh, are out of Boston. So Big Poppy was on there yesterday talking to his old pal, Lou Merloni, former teammate. And he blasted 
Dan Shaughnessy. I mean, absolutely blasted him. He says, you got no damn power, bro. (laughs) Talking about Shaughnessy leaving him off the ballot as potentially being an abuse of power. He says, he's just got the power of the pen to write whatever he believes on, but everybody knows that he's an A beep hole. (laughs) Big Poppy ain't too happy that he's left off the Hall of Fame ballot. Especially in, in, in those kind of circumstances where you pick Jeff Kent, that's kind of like a big F you. I mean, Big Poppy's run was ridiculous. This isn't a baseball show. We'll we'll move on from this in a second. But I mean, he had a crazy run and then a crazy run, and then oh yeah, the postseason and game winner after game winner after game winner. Mr. October should be Mr. Big Poppy. Shame on you, Dan Shaughnessy. I don't care. Allegation, no allegation. Big Poppy is a Hall of Famer. All right, you could debate the Maguires and the Bonds and all those guys. We already have no need to revisit that whole discussion. But Big Poppy, you cannot talk about the history of baseball in this century and not talk a lot about David Ortiz. Okay. So we were talking about point spreads. We're talking about a three-point spread for the Buccaneers and the Rams. In the late game, the Chiefs are only one-and-a-half-point favorites against the Bills. That's maybe one of the more intriguing lines of the weekend. Now, who do you think that Vegas is baiting here? Because there's there's the, the, the Bills are now kind of like the wise guy team that's left. Right. Now, first glance, I think most people are going to say, you know what? Point and a half is way too light for the Kansas City Chiefs. And they, they are the king of the AFC. Let's be honest about that. They've had a good run. They've, they're, they're, they're playing good football right now. Are they kind of carrying the sins of their early season mistakes when they were making more like 10 mistakes per game? Is that carrying with them into this point spread? The perception is that the Chiefs just aren't the Chiefs of a year or two ago. Is that kind of what people are thinking? Or do you think that the Bills are highly undervalued and that they're peaking at the right time? Now, I got to admit, I was dead wrong about the Buffalo Bills last weekend. I thought that if anybody could stop the Josh Allen show, and let's face it, if you stop Josh Allen, you stop the Bills offense. I thought it would be Bill Belichick. I was dead wrong. Terrible pick. I apologize. I uh, No excuse. I, I got it wrong. So if Bill Belichick couldn't do it, can Andy Reid do it? I would think that most people agreed that the Patriots had a better defense this year than the Chiefs do. But the Chiefs' defense kind of peaks at the right time, it seems. They're almost like the uh, those teams, like the LeBron teams, where they are able to play a different level, a different brand of their sport in the postseason. That's kind of what the Chiefs have showed us the last few years. They play their best defense in the postseason when it counts the most. 
So this is a very intriguing matchup, very intriguing point spread, definitely. I kind of feel that Vegas is maybe baiting us to take the Chiefs and that the Bills are maybe where the play is at. Just in my heart, I cannot bet against Patrick Mahomes. I think that Chiefs have better playmakers than the Bills. I really do think that the Bills are a one-trick pony. They were not able to run the game at all this past year. Their best running game was their quarterback, you know, either carries on broken plays or drawn up plays intended where Josh Allen is intended to be the ball carrier. But, I mean, that almost means that you need to, as an offense, keep the defense off balance all game and use a lot of trickery when you're doing that kind of stuff. It's kind of more college-esque of an offense when you're doing that type of thing. And you're doing that to hope to open things up for Stephon Diggs, who is your premier receiver, uh, Beasley, who is a sneaky good receiver, uh, Knox, who is a very sure-handed tight end. Boy, was he good last weekend, wasn't he? Very underrated tight end, kind of stuck over there in Buffalo in the northeast part of the country. And uh, not a lot of people know how good Dawson Knox is as a tight end. So we've talked a little bit about each of the matchups. Let's talk about selections. So the Titans are four-point favorites at home. Spent plenty of time talking about my feeling that this is all contingent on Derrick Henry. Now, if the Titans win this week and Derrick Henry plays, then I am much more likely to be bullish on them the week after where if they win this week, they will be playing at home for a chance to go to the Super Bowl. But by then, Derrick Henry would have got some reps, tried to get his timing right again, trying to get his legs you know, going again. It's not easy to pick up where you left off, especially since this is going to be kind of a rush job. So I'm taking the Bengals this week, getting four points, and to win the game upright, outright. I think the Bengals go into Tennessee and upset the number one seed. But if the Titans do win this week, then I'm going to think that they're going to be very dangerous the week after against either Buffalo or the Chiefs. I think that they, in my mind, become the Super Bowl favorite out of the AFC because they'll be at home and they'll have Derrick Henry having had a game under his belt already. And that's probably all he needs is, is, is a game to get right again. But I'm betting against that happening. I'm going to take the Cincinnati Bengals plus four points. I think it's just going to be one of those games where, and I said this last week, I did take the Bengals against my beloved Raiders. And I said, I just think that it's going to be hard for the Raiders to score as many points as the Bengals. So this is all about the Bengals offense. And I think that same thing here. I think that they will score more points in Tennessee. Now, obviously, that's what it takes to win a football game. But what I'm really trying to say is I just don't think that the Titans can keep up. That's really what I'm saying. On to the next Saturday game, the Niners and the Packers. 
This is the largest point spread of the weekend. Five and a half points. So it's not monstrous. I kind of call them uh, a line monstrous once you get into that seven to ten point window. But I think this is a point spread. Again, are they luring everybody to take the Packers looking at a point spread saying, you know what? This is below seven. Seven's my cutoff mark. I'm going to take the Packers. And the answer to that is yes for me. Luring, not luring, I don't care. I think that the Packers are going to lay the wood to the San Francisco 49ers. Pack, and Niners coming off a good win. Good for them. They could have lost. Dallas, we're talking about the mistake being uh, level of four. The, uh, the Cowboys made, what, like 14 on penalties alone. Alone. And the Niners still at the last moment had to scratch and claw for that win. I think the Packers win here, and I think they win big. I think they win, you know, something along the lines of 42 to 24. I think they blow out the San Francisco 49ers. Packers' biggest win of the weekend. Rams and Bucks, you're asking Stafford to go cross-country and win a second playoff game in a row? I don't think so. I think the Buccaneers are heavily undervalued here at minus three. I don't care about the crazy guy that we talked about at the beginning of the show, Antonio Brown. And yes, I did say it. Crazy mental health, whatever you want to call it. The guy's off his rocker. Okay. And uh, I, I don't know the status of Fournette. Maybe today's newswire uh, suggests that he will or will not play. I'm not sure. Uh, if he plays, that much better. If he doesn't, I don't think it matters. I think the Buccaneers beat the Rams. Brady, human element over Stafford. The Bucks have done it. There's a lot of pressure on the Rams to do it. Buccaneers win this game. Chiefs and Bills. I think the Chiefs stopped the Josh Allen show. I really do. I think the Chiefs win this game. And look, when you're talking about a one and a half point spread, you're talking basically about who's going to win the game. Yeah, it could be a one point game. But I mean, there's not a lot of one point games in the NFL, realistically speaking. So taking the, the Chiefs and the points is like taking the Chiefs to win. If you feel better about it, buy the point. Bring it down to a half point. Now you're just talking about winners because there's no ties. Um, but the, the Chiefs win this game. And I think the experience shows out. And I think the Bills are like the Bills of the 90s that lost four Super Bowls in a row. I think the, the Bills are playoff exiters uh, three, four years in a row, whatever it is. So that's it. Winners, Bengals, Packers, Bucks, and Chiefs. That is all the time that we've got for this week's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Next week, we'll be back. Same time, same place to talk about the AFC and NFC championship games for who gets to the Super Bowl. Enjoy your sports weekend, everyone. See you same time, same place next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.